Welcome to North Shore Newsweek. Hello, hello, North Shore, and welcome to another edition of North Shore Newsweek. I am Joe Coglin, and that is Martin Carlino, and we are the two two of the co-founders of the record NorthShore.org. We are again joined by our editorial intern, Elaine Trinko. How are you doing, Elaine? I'm doing great, Joe. Good to be here. <laughs> That's perfect. That's like the perfect guest opening quote. Um, but we're going to give you all the headlines of the week in a simple, digestible, accessible format with three segments. First is lead story. The second is up and down the shore where we try to touch on every community we cover. And the third is our featured feature before we give you a quick peek ahead and send you on your way. So uh, without further ado, we'd like to jump right in with our lead story and uh, uh, an interesting, I was going to call it fun, but it's probably not fun for everybody. But uh, for you um, local news, local government fans out there, we got an interesting um, policy discussion and compromise out of Glencoe. Yeah, so a soon-to-be addition to Glencoe's now bustling downtown dining seat got the green light it needed for its outdoor patio, which for those readers who have followed closely to this story has been a little bit of a contentious um, road to getting that to getting that patio. But uh, a new Glencoe restaurant slated to open in late August called Poppy's Social did get permission to go ahead with that outdoor patio just in a much smaller scale and limited capacity than it had originally proposed. So um, a lot of these details came forward at last last week's Glencoe Village Board meeting. We had a chance to uh, report on that meeting and um, came forward with a lot of the information on this story. So as I had mentioned, that restaurant hoping hoping to be the newest addition to Glencoe's uh, downtown area at 668 Vernon Avenue, which has been vacant now for a little over uh, a year, close to maybe two years, actually. Um, And now this is the second restaurant that has taken a swing at occupying the space. So as we had mentioned, Poppy Social hoping to up hoping to open up in late August. And um, earlier this summer, we had reported on this that as plan as part of their plans to to open in downtown Glencoe, they were including a um, what I had described earlier as a pretty contentious patio, and it was drawing some opposition from nearby residents and nearby neighbors who thought that the patio was too big and would be uh, would bring too much noise with it, given the size of it. So the original pl- uh, plans for their outdoor patio were an 84 seat patio that would stay open till, I believe, 11 p.m. Uh, most nights of the week and also would have six live music concerts throughout the summer and um, late spring season. But um, those plans did not move forward after um, some pretty some pretty fierce opposition from, um, from neighbors and also um, some unfavorable reviews from local officials. So now those plans ha- have come back and have received approval, but in a much smaller capacity, as I mentioned. So um, Glencoe will be limiting the use of that outdoor patio to no more than 36 people, a reduction that uh, village officials said should reduce that noise. Additionally, the village is also proposing to enclose that patio. Um, it, I should say to enclose the patio tables and chairs within a tent that includes some sound limiting material applied to the ceiling and possibly to the sides of it as well, according to village officials. And right now, the hours of operation are going to be until 8 p.m. on weeknights and 9 p.m. on Friday through Saturday. So much smaller scale, as I mentioned, than was originally proposed. Um, 
despite these, what officials are calling compromise, there was still some contention from nearby residents who thought that uh, maybe the village was still given a little bit too much to the restaurant and too much leeway. But uh, trustees and local officials said that they thought this was a compromise and they went, went ahead and go ahead and issued a, a liquor license for the restaurant that will allow that outdoor patio to move forward. So interesting thing to note about this is for the first, the restaurant will be operating almost under a trial basis on that liquor license as it was only given a six month approval. So um, once it comes up to the start of 2022, they'll be up again for uh, renewal of that. And village officials said that if anything has gone um, not as expected and a little bit different than they anticipated in this first little trial run for the restaurant that they are not opposed to um, implementing some even tighter restrictions for the use of that patio. So new restaurant coming to downtown Glencoe, uh, as we have reported on recently before, Glencoe is seeing record sales tax and record pedestrian traffic in its downtown area. And there will soon be another addition with an outdoor patio but in a much smaller um, space that village officials believe is a little bit of a compromise between the two sides, those sides being the restaurants and the nearby neighbors who um, live very close. For those who are familiar, there are some houses that are directly adjacent to that um, back patio on some of the neighboring streets. So it is in a close proximity to some residential areas, but um, really detailed story up on our website from the meeting with quotes from uh, all sides of this um, debate, the village, the restaurant, and the resident. So go ahead and check out that story if you're still looking for some more information, but hoping to open up in late August, Poppy Social in downtown Glencoe. Yeah, detailed look inside the uh, local government uh, red tape parade. Um, so you guys should check that out. Um, no, it's a, it's a good, um, good breakdown of what happened there and what's coming in downtown Glencoe. That's our lead story. We're going to move to our second segment called Up and Down the Shore, where we're going to take a walk right down the shore from Glencoe to Wilmette and give you stories along the way, starting in Glencoe, uh, where kind of a, a landmark resignation for a, a storied institution. Yeah, the Writers Theater is uh, embarking on a national search for a new artistic director after its longtime, for, now former artistic director, Michael Halberstram. Um, who was also the theater's co-founder and the only artistic director ever announced his resignation late last week. So um, just for a little background on Michael, his time with the nonprofit dates back about three decades. He had been there since its founding um, and that, that, non, that Glencoe nonprofit was first founded in 1992. Um, so very extensive uh, time with the theater. According to a press release that we received with some information detailing his career, he um, directed more than three dozen plays in his time with the theater. Uh, obviously a very notable figure there. And uh, one of the highlights of his time with the theater was the opening of the new um, structure, the new Writers Theater building in downtown Glencoe, which as many of you know, opened in 2016. And as Joe mentioned, has now become a fixture of Glencoe and really a very notable part of the village. So um, officials from the theater said that, uh, the leadership team agreed along with Michael that now is the time to look forward to create pathways for new voices and stories and to build for the next 30 years. Also something that uh, is, is noteworthy with this story and something that's in our reporting as well is that 
Officials had also noted several complaints that they had received about uh, Michael's workplace comments and his conduct. So um, a, a quote that was included in the press release that was interesting and that is included in our reporting as well is um, the following. And that says the timing of Halberstam's departure signals his and the writer's theater desire to preserve the goodwill of the theater and to continue to ensure a respectful workplace for all. Uh, end quote. That's the statement that was included. And that is in reference to um, what we had alluded to er earlier, some um, complaints about his conduct and his um, the way he had interacted with some of the performers some, on some various plays. And that stems back to some allegations that were first made in 2017 that uh, alleged that uh, Michael had sexually harassed um, someone who was working on a production of a 2003 show of Crime and Punishment. And uh, Michael was the director of that production. And the person alleged that he had sexually harassed both verbally and physically. And um, the theater actually had launched an investigation into those allegations and um, had found that he had made some inappropriate and insensitive comments in the workplace. That was a direct quote from the investigation. But the that investigation did not find um, inappropriate, did not find uh, anything that supported inappropriate sexual behavior. And at that time he had kept his job still. So um, also the Chicago Tribune had reported on some additional allegations that were brought forward last year in 2020. Um, but as, as for now, that uh, sort of the resignation sort of comes in the wake of um, several allegations made against him. And as I'd mentioned earlier, they're beginning a national search for a new artistic director, but for the time being, Bobby Kennedy, who is the theater's longtime director of new work, is going to step in as interim artistic director. So no plans have been yet have been announced yet for the upcoming 2021-22 season, but those are expected to come forward later next month. So um, we'll continue to follow along with this story and um, encourage you to, to check to head on over to our website to check out the story. If you're interested in some more details, we've got a link to the press release from the theater and um, some statement from theaters officials if you're looking for some, some more information on this one. And that's Glencoe. Um, we're going to stroll down Green Bay Road, make a pit stop in Winneka right there, downtown at Elm and Lincoln and talk about a restaurant switcheroo uh, in the dead of the night maybe because no one knows really what happened. But for 20 years on the corner of Elm and Lincoln was Little Ricky's, um, kind of a long-standing spot. And um, in the middle of the pandemic, um, it was uh, served within a, with an eviction lawsuit for not paying its rent of up to about $40,000, according to public records. Um, it settled. Um, no one knows the settled amount, and, and they vacated the space. Then a, a sign was posted. I'm kind of just giving you a, a timeline here. A sign was posted on the window for a place called Tacos and Tequila, which was a brand from the commercial realtor there, Hoffman Commercial Real Estate, um, the biggest commercial real estate provider in Winneka. Um, but it's their brand, and they were bringing it to Chicago from Florida, Tacos and Tequila. Uh, we did a bit of a story on what that was about before, but then all of a sudden that sign switched over to a place called Little Honeycomb. Now, we didn't get here from um, Hoffman Commercial Real Estate on why Tacos and Tequila left, but we did hear from... Little Honeycomb. And that comes from Inda Cruz, who was the longtime chef at Little Ricky's. So coming full circle here back to Little Ricky's, Inda Cruz is going to open his own place. Uh, it will have some barbecue. It's going to be kind of a combination American-Mexican fare. 
um, as well, kind of main dishes like barbecue ribs, um, as well as enchiladas and burritos, um, full quesadillas, some interesting things. They got a baked potato menu, uh, which sounds really cool, really unique to the area. Uh, but I think some people are really excited to bring back uh, the Indas coming back and uh, kind of that little spinoff from Little Ricky's is really cool too. So, um, you know, we talked also to Liz DeChant um, with the um, with the Village's Economics Department, and she talked about how they should be open barring final inspection here in a couple of weeks. So we should expect in early August that the Little Honeycomb is up and running right there at the corner. Um, and it's, it's a bustling corner now. Um, you know, we, you've got your restaurants that have been there for a few years, like Stacked and Folded, but also Hometown Coffee and Juice is opening its second location in the late summer, probably around September, right there on the opposite side from Little Ricky's of that corner. Um, so um, big corner in town there. Um, Liz was all starting about how excited she, are, she was for businesses in general in Winneka. She said 15 between June and September are going to open in a small little town like Winneka is nothing to sneeze at. So um, stories about Little Honeycomb, but a, little, a couple little tidbits about the business community as well. You guys can check that out. And that's our news from Winneka. We are going to stay on the shore and uh, make our way down to the next town, cross past New Trier and hit Kenilworth, uh, where a bit of an update, we, we reported a couple months ago that um, license plate readers may be coming to Kenilworth and they talked about it at the village board meeting right away. Right, Joe. So the Kenilworth Village Board uh, voted five to one in approving a new license plate reader system. Um, so this new reader system ha has been in the works and has been in question uh, by the Kenilworth PD for quite some time now because of the uptick they've been seeing in um, auto theft and burglaries related to cars up on the North Shore. Mm -hmm. We talked about in the original story, in our original recording, we talked about privacy was concerned. So did they talk about it at the meeting? That's right. So with that, uh, a number of residents came forward and said, you know, uh, Police Chief Miller, I'm concerned that when I uh, walk outside uh, to grab the paper in the morning in my PJs that, you know, this... Uh, reader system is going to capture an image of me. And according to the flock safety representative who was there and present for the meeting, um, you know, this, this technology is not, does not have, have the capability to capture a person. This technology is geared towards specifically capturing vehicles and its license plate. Um, and also according to the flock safety representative, um, this technology does not have facial recognition and the data is deleted after 30 days. And after that information is deleted, uh, whatever uh, data was um, attached to the image taken of the vehicle and the license plate, that data is stripped from the image. So Flock Safety will always have the images taken from these cameras uh, in their own database for their own internal use, um, according to the representative. Um, but any data related to that image uh, will not be attached, for example, where or when the photo was taken. In addition, Flock Safety does not uh, is not integrated with the DMV, um, so you cannot be personally identified just based solely on your license plate. Um, but still, there are some reservations from trustees about the privacy. Um, 
So for example, trustee Shattuck said, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of, of exploring this further, but you know, it seems kind of unclear on, you know, what the true privacy rules are. And there seems to be some contradictions. So there's still some uncertainty, but the village did make it clear that this is a 12 month, 12 month trial. So after these 12 months of trying out this technology, it may not continue for years to come. It may end after the 12 months. Um, so, Kenilworth PD will be checking in periodically uh, every three months on how the trial is going and we'll report back to Kenilworth Village Board so residents can know how the trial is going. Okay, those are important privacy distinctions. That's good. Um, another thing I'm sure Kenilworth people want to know, where and when for these cameras? Right, I had the same question. So uh, Police Chief Miller would not disclose where this technology would be placed. Again, there are going to be three reader systems uh, placed anywhere within Kenilworth. Um, and his reason, Police Chief Miller's reasoning for not disclosing uh, where they where they will be placed is because of two things. Number one, uh, the cameras are gonna be relocated periodically throughout the trial. And number two, he wants to ensure that, you know, these cameras are placed in the event that a theft is occurring. Mm -hmm. So by not disclosing that information, you know, he says that there's a greater chance of him, you know, having having a better chance of, you know, doing his job. So it's really up to the residents to kind of keep an eye out. Um, but for now, uh, the cameras will not be installed until an official agreement is made between Flock Safety and Kenilworth PD. Okay. Okay, you can read that full story, more details as well about flock safety on our website, therecordnorthshore.org from uh, our intern, Elaine Trinko. That is Kenilworth. We're going to take a few steps down Sheridan Road and hit in Wilmette now. And surprise, surprise, we're going to talk about the park board. Uh, we know this has been a, a topic of interest for a lot of people as they try to figure out some of their differences and challenges. There is a, a new challenge, but uh, if we're being quite honest, not much detail. And here's the scoop. So at the recent Wilmette Park Board meeting, a new business item was brought forth by Cecilia Clark, one of the commissioners. And she wanted to know some of the procedures and some of the details around filling a vacancy for the board. And I'm sure you're asking yourself is, did uh, much of uh, everybody listening in the board, uh, who, what, where, and when <clears throat> in terms of a vacancy that might happen from a board member. Well, not many of those details were given as no one spoke up about uh, possibly leaving the board or possibly who it might be or possibly when there might be a vacancy. But the, the park board has received some letters and concerns from residents. Multiple commissioners mentioned they've received um, calls, emails, messages from residents about with concerns about a vacancy. Uh, but still, as I said, no one spoke up. And here's what we found out. We found out um, that Commissioner Todd Schistler's home was recently sold. It is under contract. It has not been closed upon, and it is not confirmed by any of our reporting that Todd Schistler does have the intent of leaving Wilmette. But the fact is that his home sold, and um, we heard from um, former Commissioner Brian Abbott that he was contacted by a board commissioner two months ago about a upcoming vacancy of Todd Schistler. So that is the information that we have, uh, probably four or five calls to Mr. Schlissler were not returned. Um, I, uh, I, I reported on the story if that wasn't clear. Um, uh, went to Mr. Schlissler's home. Um, he chose not to come to the door um, after seeing me. Um, so point being, 
we're not, we have no information confirming. What we do have confirmed is that Mr. Chester's house has been sold um, and that um, somebody has been reaching out about that opening from Mr. Schistler, but we have not heard from him. Dude, I know that sounds really confusing and complex because it is. Um, we're working hardest to get that confirmed. So um, please stay tuned for that. There could be a vacancy as soon as August is what we're hearing from multiple sources within um, related to the park district. Um, so um, at the board meeting, they did talk about if there is one, what do we do? Basic details. Uh, according to the organizational document, the bylaws from the park board, uh, you need to publish the vacancy. Uh, you need to interview candidates um, and um, accept applications before you interview, of course, and then interview ca candidates. And then somebody is recommended and they need to be approved by a majority vote of six people. So you can imagine there is a chance that we have a deadlock if that happens, but that's down the road. I'm sure there's gonna be more talk about this. There is another meeting before then um, which is in August. They're doing one a month here. So stay tuned as the story progresses. Um, there could be a vacancy on the park board. And of course, that is a lot of interest right now. Nine people ran for park board um, for three open seats and only one was an incumbent. Uh, there's all the um, issues with Gilson's uh, redevelopment. I'm sorry, that's not the right word. Uh, either master plan? Master plan. Yeah, just kind of um, tweaking Gilson Park for the future. So a um, lot of interest there. We're gonna have more reporting on it. We just will, so stay, stay tuned. Um, and that is it, all those stories and more. A lot of government reporting this week. We were heavy on the beat. Marty has a couple more as well um, on the local reporting beat. So check out the record, northshore.org. Those are our first two segments. Our last segment is a uh, really interesting one, um, busting with uh, community pride. Um, everybody loves the Olympics and uh, we'll met Elaine as somebody going to the show, as we say. And that person is Maggie Shea, a sailor who grew up on the waters here. So tell me, you talked to Maggie. Um, let's just start with what was her reaction to qualifying for the Olympics? Because she had to do that last year uh, with all the COVID, right? So she's had to wait a year. So what are her emotions right now as the Olympics approach? Yes, Joe, in my conversation with Maggie, you know, she is fired up and ready to That's go. Awesome. Um, after having waited uh, over a year uh, alongside her teammate, who she'll be sailing and racing alongside of for the Olympics, uh, her teammate's name is Stephanie Robel. Um, you know, they are just ready to go. They want to get out on the water. They've been waiting. And, you know, they're luckily enough, they're in a sport where they're competing outdoors all the time. So during COVID, they, you know, were fortunate enough to continue their training on and off the water. Um, however, you know, it's not the same as a, a traditional race. Um, you know, all of those races were halted during COVID for safety reasons, um, just to protect athletes and making sure, you know, everyone would be prepared and healthy and safe for uh, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, which is actually not called the 2021 Tokyo Olympics because it's a little bit of a, uh, uh, it's a little bit of an homage to um, the year 2020 and having to, you know, miss yeah. it. So uh, for those of you who are hearing, oh, you know, shouldn't it be 2021 Tokyo <laughs> Olympics? Uh, yes, it is 2021, but uh, they're calling it 2020 just because of 
uh, how long it took for all of these athletes from all these different sports to get there. But um, yes, to answer your question more simply, um, Maggie and Steph are ready to get out on the water and their coach, um, Julia Conti, are just so excited and fired up and are planning to bring home the gold. So we'll see what happens with that. Oh man, if they do either, you know, she'll hold a parade either way, but uh, you know, locally on this local level, I thought it really interesting. Maggie was able to tell you a lot about what she did here. So why don't you just kind of reiterate that to us? How did she get into sailing and how did it become her thing? How did she realize it was something she could do? Right. Well, Joe, sailing has been in Maggie Shea's family for for decades. Um, you know, her grandfather, John Netto, uh, is a known uh, sailor uh, from uh, Michigan, and he won many races uh, in Chicago um, and really kind of became a sailing icon here, um, just very well respected all around. And so his sailing career trickled down to his own children and uh, his his grandchildren. Um, and so, yeah, Maggie was on the water at a very, very young age. Uh, folks, if you check out this, check out the story, um, that I wrote on our website, there's a really fabulous picture of Maggie when she was a little girl sailing on, uh, her grandfather's boat, um, which is a really powerful image to see, um, you know, going from, uh, just having fun on the on the North Shore in the summers to, you know, going to Tokyo for sailing. Uh, it's a really big deal. But uh, yeah, so it started with her grandfather, uh, started sailing with her grandfather. And then she started uh, sailing competitively um, in her teens. And then she went to New Trier High School, graduated from New Trier uh, and sailed with them, um, which led her into uh, Connecticut College, where she sailed competitively there at the collegiate level. Uh, and from then on, throughout her education, it took her to the professional level of sailing, where she did all sorts of match racing and, you know, other races uh, in Chicago and Florida, Australia. Uh, so really, Maggie has been around the world and back again. And now she's in the Olympics with one of her best friends. Right. One of her best friends, one of the best in- anecdotes in there is that she wasn't always her best friend. Stephanie was a competitor when they were teens, right? That's right. So when, so Stephanie Robel uh, was a very um, highly regarded junior sailor. So when Maggie and Steph were, were little girls, Steph had been competing when she was only about eight right. years old, which is when, according to Maggie, is when you should really start uh, sailing competitively. Um, so according to Maggie, she was kind of late to the party. That's what she told me in terms of um, sailing competitively. And um, yeah, so Steph was the one to be. Uh, for Maggie. And, you know, um, Steph wasn't from Chicago. Steph was um, from Wisconsin. And so, you know, these sailors, they come from all over to compete against each other. And, you know, Maggie told me that whenever Steph would come to town, it would be like, okay, like she's coming, like this is my moment. Um, So they were fierce rivals uh, in their youth. And then after a while, they just kind of were like, hey, you know, I think it would be a lot easier if we just teamed up and sailed a boat together rather than constantly trying to compete against each other. Right. So pretty powerful stuff from these two women. That's really cool. And they're taking that powerful, uh, those talents to Tokyo. And uh, in your story, I think in their last worlds, they finished third. So uh, expect a medal, folks, or expect at least a competition of, of that. 
Um, and uh, hopefully we'll have some good news here shortly as we're getting underway in the Olympics this week. And I think sailing starts in the beginning of August. That's right. So um, stay tuned to that. We'll have an update for sure. But that story is really good stuff. Um, it's a profile of Maggie from her childhood up until the Olympics. You get plenty of context and color with it from Elaine. And that is our show, guys. That's our three segments. I uh, hope you guys feel uh, fulfilled with all your local news at this point. Um, but before we let you go, Marty's going to tell you a bit of what's ahead. We've got some coverage coming up of the Winneka Council's most recent meeting. We should have that here for you in the next day or so. And then we've also got Elaine heading out to cover the Glencoe Art Festival this week. So we'll have some coverage up from that as well. So um, some great local stories coming your way as always. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So um, make sure you go to the record northshore.org. Remember, we are a nonprofit community first newsroom. We work for you guys. We're also funded mostly by you guys. So we appreciate if you appreciate us, uh, you consider uh, donating or subscribing and funding your local news going forward. So without further ado, we'll let you go. Till next time. Thanks for listening. 